Israel holds its fifth election in four years. What are the implications both in the Jewish state and around the world? American ballots are still being counted. Where is the balance of power? Brazil's presidential contest results are being challenged with nationwide protests. All while Western and Eastern Europe is vying for political control, while Asia remains a powder keg encountering weekly missile tests along the Korean Peninsula. And now Iran is supplying military drones to Russia in the battle for Ukraine. Will Israel answer Zelensky's request for technology support against the Ayatollah's regime? Are we seeing the ten toes of Daniel beginning to take shape? All this and so much more in Headlines Meets Prophecy, October, November 2022. Hello, everybody. My name is Mark. You're watching and listening to the Russic Outlook. Thank you so much for joining. Today's topic, Modern Headlines Meets Bible Prophecy, October, November 2022. This is part of a monthly series where I take a peek around the world, uh, looking at the headlines in the various news agencies, what they're reporting concerning governments, politics, uh, militaries, excursions, uh, culturally impactful organizations, uh, businesses, things of that nature, and how that may or may not be lining up with what the Bible laid out as signposts or, or things to look for uh, that, that leads up to the eventual return of Jesus. So that's the abbreviated version. The reason that you're seeing the combination of the two months is I decided to go October to mid-November, then mid-November to December, and the reason is the third one, rather than a monthly, will be a year-end encapsulation review to see if, you know, just a reminder, a refresher of what transpired during this year. And do we see any patterns or do we see some things that uh, we can, or, or, or kind of uh, pointing us to keep an eye out for what's transpiring for 2023. So that's, that, that's the reason that we've truncated the, uh, the, 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 the topics or the, the timing a little bit. There is a message or a method to the madness, I should say. So uh, on that note, if you wouldn't mind, whatever platform you're on, uh, YouTube, Rumble, podcast platforms, please, it really helps us go to the like and the subscribe button, subscribe to the channel, whether, you know, it's, it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, uh, and again, Rumble and YouTube, it, it helps us get the information out there. And, and ring the bell, um, comment, if, 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 and whether you agree or disagree, um, it's all good, and, and share the information. If you find value in this, if you think this is something to share with, worthy to share with others, then, then by all means, it helps us get the information out. It helps us drive the message, because my objective is always to get to the heart of truth, no matter, no matter the, the method of, of how we get there. Um, the, the underlying uh, mission for me is to get to the veracity of Scripture, the veracity of Jesus, and, and leave no stone unturned. And, and I, I very often will use very unconventional sources um, to, to do that. So, you know, on, on that note, I would just ask you to, to please share that information, subscribe to the various channels, go to Rumble if you're not familiar with it, uh, because we will be doing some, some individual things out there. We will be doing some Rumble exclusives. Uh, because I will not be censored there, and I have been censored in the past on YouTube. I don't want to violate any of their uh, guidelines, but I do want to get whatever message uh, th that I need to, and again, whatever the truth is. So uh, last, go to the Russic Outlook. We've launched a brand new website. We're trying to make it easier to navigate, to get information, and, and let us know what you think. Um, and we'll, if you can, you'll see a little pop-up once you go to the website and subscribe to our email list. We'll notify you of new events, new things uh, to happen. So let's get to this. Uh, let's see. So I'm going to show you a montage of images. A lot of this is based upon the elections. If you're in America, you know that, um, you know, where I stand today in mid-November, we're still not sure of the majority in the Houses of Congress. It's, it's getting close, but it's not clear. Um, but there was other elections that transpired in other locations, and most notably in Israel. So that definitely has prophetic implications. We're going to talk a lot about that um, and the different relationships I show you with Russia. Russia is always in the news because of the ongoing escalation in Ukraine and that, that the impact that Putin has with his uh, relationships with uh, Ayatollah Rouhani on the upper left from, from Iran, the Indian Prime Minister Xi Jinping, the president of the Chinese Communist Party on the right, lower right, and then um, 
Benjamin Netanyahu is the newly elected leader of Israel and Zelensky in Ukraine. And that is a very tenuous, tumultuous uh, navigational plot or, or, or road to navigate. Um, and, and we're going to break all of this down because it's it's pretty fascinating. So, you know, we're going to cover that and a lot more. So much of what I try to do is center everything, not everything, but center so much of it on Israel when it comes to prophecy, because it always centers on the nation of Israel as what was laid out in the Bible. So on that note, I wanted to first focus on some developments as it relates to elections in Europe and South America and some developments that, that we're seeing Um there is a uh, report just came out last week about Soros, the Rockefeller Organization, and the 46th American Administration funding opposition media, which is a launch uh, uh, in Hungary. And it reports that this is basically what, what has been reported. In what appears to be the latest instance of European Union bigwigs, they attacking the conservative left state. The, Euro the European Parliament has now declared that Hungary is no longer a democracy. I'm saying all this because Hungary is led by Christians, uh, has a Christian uh, administration. A lot of the um, people in the various posts there are applying biblical principles to their mandates, and they're doing pretty well. They're pretty successful. Uh, you know, everybody's still dealing with the, uh, the, 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 the repercussions of COVID, inflation, and whatnot. And, but uh, the European Parliament is going out of its way because— uh, Hungary is, is, they're viewing it as a thorn in their side. So I found it interesting because they're saying Hungary is no longer a democracy. Uh, they said the same thing about Giorgia Maloney, who's the newly appointed Italian prime minister. This woman is a staunch Christian and, and uh, values, uh, or speaking up against the, the woke agenda, talking about the importance of uh, education in the home for the, I mean, the responsibilities being in the home with the parents and, and giving the parents input on their children's education and, and, and whatnot. And you see a lot of those same similarities in the United States. So what I find interesting is, and I'll, I'll cut to the slide here, uh, where it says it's no longer a democracy, and that's coming out of the West and it's coming out of Europe, but if you recall, if you're in America, that's all you heard on the left of, over the last six weeks, that if we lose, uh, meaning they, if they lose the, the left majority, because you, you have three branches of government, um, the executive, the legislative, and the judicial, but the, um, the judicial is supposed to, I'm not going to go down that road about the appointments of judges. But I will say this, that in the Senate and the Congress and the executive branch, you all have uh, are, are being run and led by the majority being uh, on the left. And they're saying that if we they lose that, then you've lost democracy in this country. So in other words, if you don't adhere to the mandate that's being dictated, then you are a threat to democracy. Um, so I just find it interesting that's been all over the airwaves, all you know, coming all out of the left's mouths from, from Washington to the media to the parrots in Hollywood who like to just repeat what, they, what they're told. And it, so it's clearly a message of propaganda, uh, but it's the same message of what's transpiring in, in, in Europe. So take that for what it's worth. You know, and, and I also pointed out here that uh, you know, the same thing was with Build Back Better, which was a slogan coming out of Washington last year. And you could have heard that all throughout Europe in, in their different programs months before we even heard it out of 46's mouth. So uh, that just tells you the, to me anyway, it tells me the impact uh, and the effective messaging of, of the machines that are driving a lot of the policies around the world today. Um, then you have Bolsonaro in Europe. So he is a very strong Christian. He recently lost his position as president uh, just a couple of days ago in, in Brazil. Um, I bring this up because not only is he a strong uh, president and he's immensely popular, there's a lot of debate down there. There's a lot of reporting that things were, did not transpire um, with integrity. I'm just going to put it that way. And it, they, they saw some similarities between 
what transpired here in 2020 to what they are saying transpired in 2022 there. Um, and, and a gentleman named Lau, who is the uh, Lula, I'm sorry, Socialist Party, uh, he was formally arrested. Um, but anyway, he's, he's, he's the new leader of Brazil. Uh, and I say all this because there's clearly a fight against uh, Christians, against people who are standing for principles, people who are staring, standing for light uh, in, in, in the realm of darkness. And, and that may be a strong statement to you, but I firmly believe it when you consider the policies that are being brought forth concerning life, concerning relationships with Israel, concerning uh, um, laws and, you know, just, you know, so much. It flies in the face of, of proper or uh, a, a moral compass, I'll put it that way. So there's a war, and I believe a lot of that is spiritually led, but we're seeing the tangible results uh, effectively permeate in, in the natural and what we see around the world today. Um, and then Israel, huge election there. They had their fifth election in four years, and uh, Benjamin Netanyahu with a uh, conservative, religious, Zionist-type support, and, and we'll break that down, what that means uh, so that's now leading that uh, leading Israel, which is a pretty significant development. Um, and even I would go back to Brazil when uh, there, there was some dispute about the integrity of the elections. Forty six was pressuring Bolsonaro to accept it for the sake of democracy. Um, and then I show you a picture here, which I thought was pretty cool. The uh, there's so many great reports coming out of Brazil about not only Bolsonaro, but his wife, they held the recent Jerusalem prayer breakfast in Rio. De I think it was in Rio. It was in Brazil. Um, she actually showed up to the polls to vote for her husband with an Israeli flag. So she's a staunch supporter of, of Israel. So all of these things are happening around the world. It's not just the United States. <clears throat> and I say this because I, I you know, it's, it's so important to, to recognize what, what's going on. Because if you look at, you know, so many you know, you can say that really the United States is not in prophecy, and I have my reasons, you know, for believing that, um, and we've covered some of that in the past, but Europe is, the European um, Parliament potentially is, some of the kingdoms there, the Middle East is, the neighbors of, uh, of, of Israel are, uh, Russia is, Iran is, Turkey is. They are mentioned specifically as uh, players or nations participating in end-of-day events. China is. So that's why, I, you know, I like to cover all of this as, as, as what's developing, you know, could be lining up. Last, I just want to point out, um, Liz Truss was uh, stepped down as the Prime Minister of England after just, I don't know, three, four weeks, if that. Uh, Rishi Sunak is the new leader of, of England. Um, I just mentioned Liz, and I'm not saying this is the reason she supposedly did not have the support of her party to get any type of effective legislation passed through. Uh, but just a side note, she was supposedly pushing towards getting the uh, capital move, the British embassy, I'm sorry, moved from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, recognizing Jerusalem as the rightful capital of Israel. And that's no longer the case. And I'm not saying it's, it's directly... Um, uh, correlated, but it's just, and you know, it's an, and it's an interesting note, I, I think, anyway. So let me continue. Um, this was reported uh, on, uh, yeah, let me throw it up on video. You had the blood moon, uh, lunar moon, with, you know, on election day throughout the United States, this could be seen. So a lot of people were reading a lot into that and saying that this is proof positive of, uh, of a red wave and a red tsunami and, and whatnot. And it didn't turn out to be the case. So it could have been a lot of nothing, and it could be something, and we just haven't seen uh, what that means yet. And because, you know, Genesis says that not only is the sun, the moon, the stars there for to separate day from night, but it's for signs, it's for seasons, it's, it's the heavens give us some signposts. And, you know, I've talked about blood moons in the past and falling on the Jewish holidays and those implications, how you can directly attribute some of those events that happened in the skies, happened in the heavens. Um, I don't, you know, I, I don't know. And because there is no clear outcome to the American elections yet, we don't know, you know, whether that meant something or not. And, but I did want to bring it out because so many people were just, you know, har harping on it saying, 
oh, you know, this, this is a sign we're on the right track. And, and I say that because a lot of Christians were disappointed in the outcome. But yet, you know, when all is said and done, it looks pretty clear that the Congress will be uh, run by the Republicans or majority, majority, I should say. There's a good chance that the Senate will. Can't say for sure. May not. We may not know until after December sixth. There's runoff elections in in Georgia, um, and there's some other elections that won't be uh, clear until another week or two. Uh, governors' races, particularly around Arizona, Nevada, um, and some other local uh, facilities. Which is, it's a pretty sad state. You know, it's a week later that you don't know the outcome of elections yet, and you know you can go back to 2020 and. You know, when I was growing up, it was election day. You go and you vote and you find out at the end of the day who wins. <laughs> and and we've made it so much more difficult. And, you know, you can read into, you know, whatever that is. But let me just show you a montage of some of the American elections. And I just wanted to point out losing democracy. You know, like that's all we heard. We're going to lose democracy. And, you know, God forbid there actually be a balance of powers that you actually have one party, you know, running one house and another party running another house, which I think is really what democracy is all about. But I digress. All right. So let me go back to Israel. So Benjamin Netanyahu in Israeli politics, you have 120 parliament seats. You have to have over 60 to have the majority he has 64, 65. I think some of that's still shaking out. But the reason, well, let me, before I go there, let me, this is the fifth election in the last four years. So instability has been prevalent throughout Israeli politics. Uh, you had the largest turnout for this election since 1999. So rather than you thinking, okay, the Israelis are sick and tired of it, they've actually turned out in larger numbers. And one of the uh, key components, it turns out, in in some of the exit polling was because of the two-state proposal by Lapid at the U.N. in September, where he was pressured by uh, 46 and and Canada and others, that they wanted uh, Netanyahu in. They did not want the two-state solution. So they were, their voices were heard. The other interesting aspect of this is because of the frailty or the fragility of the different Israeli governments, uh, Netanyahu has now teamed up with the uh, what I'll call the far right um, two two gentlemen there, which was uh, Ben uh, Itamar Ben Giver, who's a uh, Israeli lawyer and a politician. He is uh, brings in the far right party of Atzma Yehudit party, um, and there's three things that he supposedly is has been given a mandate. I'll say it that way to crack down on Arab crime terrorism uh, and to deport a, a, an Arab leader that's currently in the, uh, uh, in the parliament, in the Hadash party, um, a gentleman named Ayman Oda, and then two, reinforce uh, conservative religious and state views, crack down on reformed Jews, and three, crack down on illegal international citizens living in Israel. So, you know, much of what we see in the United States and our concerns with what's happening on the southern border, he see that, well, he's concerned about the same thing. So Netanyahu's got to navigate that. And let me just go back to the other gentleman's name. Bear with me. Uh, Bezalel. He is also part of a conservative group. He's very influential. So Netanyahu has to work with these people in order to get effective laws passed and effective legislation. So it becomes very difficult. And I'm citing all of this because I think it's laying the groundwork of the direction for Israel and some things that we should be keeping an eye on and praying for. Um, And also with the far right in Israel, uh, Blinken, the ambassador of the United States, uh, came to Abbas at the uh, Palestinian leader in the West Bank, and he said that they are committed to a two-state solution. So um, that's not going to fly with Netanyahu and Netanyahu's government. Um, they've tried this in the past, the whole land for peace thing. It's, it's just, it's, it, it, it's, it's not worked. So Netanyahu's basically been given the, the ominous mission of, of navigating the, these waters. So I want to show you here what is the political analysis and what may be coming. So, um, again, 64, 65 seats, something like that. 
and uh, let's say, let me bring this to the video. So do, and I'm highlighting some of the yellow highlights here. Due to the support from another political party, the religious Zionism led by these two gentlemen that I mentioned forms the right-wing coalition. So what does that actually mean? And I would say TBD, to be determined. Um, he's also taken, uh, uh, meaning Ben Giver has taken a hardline, oh, I'm sorry, Netanyahu has taken a hardline stance against Iran. He will not hesitate at all to stop Iran from developing nuclear weapons. Uh, but the rise to prominence of Ben Giver as and potential pot potential political influence, he will likely see more conflicts or more intense standoffs, if you will. So Netanyahu has been given this mandate, and one of the reasons is because the the people of Israel said, "Look, if we're going to be engaged in battles or war with Iran, we want Netanyahu at the top. We we don't want." Lapid or others uh, running the country when we're in conflict. So they there's a certain degree of trust, even though Netanyahu has been in and out of uh, leadership positions there. And I would say the Lord's put him in and out for a variety of reasons. Um, so some experts believe this more cohesive, uh, coherent government will be able to reach further in cracking down, uh, for instance, on Palestinian activity in the West Bank. You know, again, you know, we'll have to wait and see that. Um, but again, it's just, it's the difficulty of navigating Israeli politics. And I'm talking about internally now, and I'm going to get to some things about externally and the relationships with the various nations and the various leaders. This is truly a, a, a global chess match in, in terms of how I'm viewing it anyway. I just wanted to point out, Bibi came out with an autobiography, as a lot of political leaders do. And um, I just received my copy yesterday, so I haven't had a chance to see it. But I do take notice that he references uh, 36 uh, evangelicals and the relationships he has with them. Um, so, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, he's also, you know, you have to look at the fact of neutralizing Iran. He needs to try to make peace with Saudi Arabia. There's a very cordial relationship and, and agreement that they have with Saudi Arabia, um, they, they, and they hope, and it's my understanding that the Abraham Accords that have been reached with the four nations, uh, that they potentially could be another two or three behind it, and Saudi Arabia being the kingpin. Um, so they're hoping for that. So, you know, he's got to navigate that relationship uh, with MBS, who is the leader. At the same time, you've got the UAE, which is so influential and so important. Uh, and uh, I'm trying to think here, the foreign minister who's very influential in the uh, accords there, um, he said, beware of, well, he, he kind of pushed him. He said he wanted him to not partner with the religious Zionist organizations. So, you know, in, interesting development there. Um, let me just see this. Okay. And then, uh, you know, his relationships with Putin, and I'm going to get into that as it relates to um, Zelensky and, and, and uh, the Ukraines. And, you know, naturally, 46. 46 is pressuring a two-state solution, and that's not going to fly there. So I would encourage you to uh, read or get the autobiography of Bibi Netanyahu if you're interested in Israeli leadership and developments. I'm certainly, I'm a little bit of a political junkie, but I'm curious because he's supposedly, some of the reviews I said, he's very, uh, that I saw, he was very forthright, very honest and clear about some of the things and some of the relationships he's had, some of the conversations that have been off the record behind the scenes, and I'm sure there's certain things he still can't uh, relate. But I'm, 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 I'm curious because I, I would love to have been a fly on the wall on some of the conversations that transpired or if I think back at, you know, the tumultuous times he had with 44 and, you know, having to appear before Congress in terms of trying to get them away from the Iranian agreements. And there's some tough stuff there. So sticking with Israel, um, new development that I think is interesting and the Dead Sea that there is a group in a political organization. Uh, the Ministry of Tourism wants to develop this as uh, kind of the new... Um, Oh, mini uh, Dubai is what they're calling it. So uh, they're hoping to attract about 10 million tourists a year. I'll show you this on video. Um, 
you, you see that aerial view of the Dead Sea, then uh, Israel must get rid of its nuclear weapons, uh, declares the, U, uh, the UN, pressuring Israel, now mention of uh, Iran. Uh, you continue to have rockets firing from the Gaza into southern Israel. That happened just about two weeks ago. Um, I want to shift a little bit, still staying with Israel, but Lebanon, directly to the north of Israel, uh, there's a big power vacuum there. They are economically insolvent. They're, they're, uh, they're, they're just, they're rationing gas, rationing electricity. Uh, a lot of the banks have been closing, uh, and the leader stepped down, and he said he'll stay on in an uh, advisory capacity, so you have a... Um, uh, a council, if you will, that is running that nation in the interim. And at the same time, you have, uh, and, and I've talked about this a lot in the past, you have Israeli um, gas uh, uh, facilities on the Mediterranean coast. And now, you know, so they're facilitating energy to different parts of uh, Egypt and now into the Europe and, and themselves. So they are a, a energy juggernaut now where the United States was independent two years ago, now, you know, we are no longer independent. And Europe finds itself needing to um, substitute what they lost with Russia, and Israel's now stepping into that. So, uh, but at any rate, there's a, uh, um, one of the facilities near the coast of Lebanon, and I show you this on the map, I'll, I'll cut back to this. Um, anyway, they struck a deal, uh, Lapid did, the former prime minister, uh, and he was saying that it provides Israel more security, and I would say it actually does the opposite because they're basically getting uh, these agreements were forged with uh, Hezbollah, who's the Iranian proxy, who's really running a lot of the activity and the influence coming out of Lebanon. Um, so that was really a bad deal. It was supposedly, and I don't know this for sure, just rumors, that was pushed by um, uh, 46th administration as a good thing, you know, for the Israelis and Lapid, and Lapid was supposedly doing that as, as a gesture of goodwill. Uh, but in, in essence, if you think about it, it's a land for peace deal. They've given up Israeli land uh, for peace, and, and they were threatened for, uh, if they did not agree to it that Hezbollah would come against them. And, you know, the reality is Israel can squash them like a fly if they wanted to. Uh, you have continued airstrikes into Damascus for the third time in a week. That happened just a few weeks ago. That's bombing Israeli strongholds. Then, side note, not directly related to Israel, but just, you know, some anti-Semitic activity. You have a basketball player in the United States, Kyrie Irving, uh, supporting an anti-Semitic film. He was uh, um, corrected by, I, I, he was handed a... Uh, a suspension by the league and by the ownership there. Um, and a lot of the, I mean, Brooklyn, you have so many, you have probably outside of Israel, you probably have more Jews definitely in New York than anywhere else in the world. But I would say most of the majority of them are coming from Brooklyn. And a lot of them are basketball fans. They love the Nets. And so they've been, you know, kind of coming out in droves and support and, and, and trying to be an influence and in educating uh, the, the, the dangers of, of supporting anti-Semitic uh, attitudes or supporting um, books or, or teachings of, of anti-Semitism. Uh, and then we saw it in Atlanta. There was reports of buildings um, being, uh, people were writing on them that Jews enslaved black lives uh, found throughout different parts of Atlanta. So sticking to the same part of the world, I want to switch gears a little bit to Egypt, they are right now in the midst of hosting a UN climate conference. And ironically, it's by Mount Sinai. And whether this is a direct correlation or slap or uh, you know, take it for what it's worth, that there's a report of 10 new uh, mandates coming down out of this. Is that something to draw a reference to the Ten Commandments coming from Mount Sinai? I don't, I don't know, you know, wouldn't be surprised. Um, but what's interesting here is that they've assembled not only all of these governments from around the world, and President Sisi is, is very much behind this or support of it, um, but they're bringing in religious organizations. The Vatican is a big supporter of this and, and, and different religious organizations from around the world. It almost seems like a kumbaya, let's bring them all together. So I'm a little suspicious about they, they, why they've made this intentionally a religious um, 
moment or, 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 or mission, if you will. So, you know, th there you have it. Um, so the UN has invited all the world's religions with the hope of, uh, of drawing together inspirational teaching and spiritual ideals toward the goal of perpetuating collective survival. Um, again, I, you know, UN and their marketing is, is always interesting. Uh, some of the comments coming out of there. Uh, the UN chief saying humanity is on the highway to climate hell. Uh, Kerry says the climate strategy is modeled on the vaccine rollout. Vatican warns of severe humanitarian impacts. Uh, Britain's new prime minister, Sunak, says the, the Ukraine war is an excuse to push the green agenda. And then the Pope was also uh, um, supporting this and, and had some words in Bahrain last week. He said, let us work tirelessly in confronting this dramatic emergency and enact concrete and farsighted decisions inspired by concern for coming generations before it is too late and their future is compromised. May the United Nations Climate Change Conference to take place in Egypt a few, years from, few days from now mark a step forward in this regard. So, you know, pardon me if I'm not a little suspicious because it almost seems to me like they're making this a religion. And, um, I, you know, I've often said I am all for, you know, supporting good conditions on the ground. Um, but so much of this I am highly suspicious of for hundreds of reasons. Um, but anyway, I'm just reporting what's going on, and they are making it a, um, a directive to enlist the different religions to come alongside of this. Um, going back to Iran, uh, the Iranian delegation met again uh, in Vienna. They continue to do that. Um, but they have stalled nuclear talks. And again, we don't have any visibility into Iran. They've shut off all the cameras into the uh, uh, nuclear facilities there. So I think you've got a lot of big stall tactics going on. They're talking about revolutionary guards, whether they should be on a terrorist watch list. Germany is threatening to put them on. And I, I just think there's a lot of stall tactics going back and forth. Um, going back to Saudi Arabia for a second and Iran. Iran is an enemy of Saudi Arabia. They have, uh, they have been bombing Saudi Arabia through the Houthis, which is another proxy out of Yemen on the border of Saudi Arabia. And uh, so at any rate, there was reports that Iran was going to attack Saudi Arabia as well as some military outposts in Iraq. And Iran and <clears throat> U.S. military took this information and, and responded accordingly. Nothing came out of it, but I, I, I just find it interesting because then that shows cooperation still between the United States and Saudi Arabia, despite some of the other um, areas of conflict concerning energy and this dispersion of energy and agreements and um, increase or decrease of production from OPEC, et cetera. Uh, protesting in, in, in Iran continues. You had the woman, as, as I've reported in the past, uh, Masha Amini was um, was killed by the uh, um, a, 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 some faction of the police in in, in Iran um, for not wearing her head garb head garb I'm sorry uh, properly. That's the information coming out. Of, and, and the result of this has been massive protests for the past six, seven, eight weeks all across the country, and the women are taking. Their hajibs, their, their headwear, they're throwing it down, they're taking it off, they're declaring their freedom, um, flying in the face of adversity, flying in the face of uh, the laws coming against them from, from uh, the ayatollahs and the police. And so that's very, very volatile uh, in what's transpiring there. It's basically the, the people are speaking up for themselves. I see it similar to what happened <clears throat> in 44's administration where he wouldn't support the, the green movement that was happening with the youth there. And I think you're, and some of the people in that administration has said that that was a mistake. They should have. And I think you're seeing others who are saying, you know, they'll, they'll do it. Not surprisingly, Syria, on the other hand, is, is supporting the Ayatollahs um, combating the, these women over there. Um, I briefly mentioned there, and, and I just, I'm not sure why, just, Keep an eye on this. There's a, a conflict brewing between Azerbaijan and Armenia, and Azerbaijan has a relationship with Israel. Armenia has mainly a lot of Christians, and um, 
it's just something to keep an eye on because if you look at the map on the lower left, all of those areas potentially are involved or will be involved in the war in Ezekiel 38. So I'm, you know, between Russia, Georgia being a former Soviet state, uh, Turkey, Iran, and, and that whole area, and the relationship with Israel and, and Azerbaijan um, is, is going to be just interesting to watch. Just keep an eye out. That's all I'm, I'm suggesting. Uh, zipping back to Ukraine and Israel. So this is another thing that Netanyahu has to navigate. I'll show you this on video. Um, Zelensky had expressed hope that Israel will now provide military assistance from the Russian-Iranian cooperation, meaning this. Um, our, Iran has been supporting Russia's military with drones that they've been, military drones that they've been using now in Ukraine, manufactured in, in Iran. Um, and Israel will not deliver the Iron Dome defense, which would combat this. And this has been a sore spot in, in the Israeli parliament because a lot of the Israelis want to support uh, the Ukrainian position. And they also, there's a lot of Ukrainian Jews. And the, the difficulty is this. Israel has some unspoken of agreements with the Russians and the military because of their need to go into Syria, take out certain Iranian strategic strongholds, um, weapons shipping into the Syrian airports. They've been able to fly in and bomb some of these things with a nod and a wink from Putin and the Russians. If they side with the Ukrainians and uh, I forget the gentleman's name, the foreign minister of uh, Russia has already come out and said, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but that that's a bad move. And, you know, there will be repercussions. So if they help the Ukrainians, they could potentially be hurting themselves with the Russians in terms of what's on their border and what is impacting their defense. I'm not advocating one way or another, but I'm saying that's the the political navigation that Netanyahu has to do with Zelensky and Putin and others. Um, so it's it's not a simple thing. At the same time, you know, uh, very deep concerns for what's going to happen in Europe. Uh, many of these European countries will be without heat or very limited uh, power and, and heating. The eastern region has been cut off by the Russians. They're declaring that to be Russian territory. They're, uh, they're taking down electrical power plants and nuclear power plants, uh, or attempting to, I should say. So it, it's, it's going to be a very cold winter for many in Europe. And, um, you know, and then the last piece of that is Israel potentially will be delivering gas and uh, um, power into Europe as part of an agreement that happened in June because of those fields that I mentioned that are in the Mediterranean now. That won't get there in time for this winter, but you know that's that's something that Putin will be looking at because it's money out of their pocket. The United States is already positioned now just a few miles from the Ukrainian border. Uh, there in Romania, supposedly inspecting weapons and giving them uh, some training, some accountability. Um, the personnel are working with the live tank and artillery rounds near the Black Sea. All of that is very contentious. It, it's it's something to keep an eye on. Um, then shift gears over to China. Uh, the Pentagon is warning, warning that we are at uh, potentially our lowest moments in, in terms of Southeast Asia and relationships over there. Uh, not only are tensions between China and Taiwan increasing, we all know about that, uh, but North Korea and South Korea have now been lobbing bombs back and forth and testing. And this is just over the last couple of weeks. And Japan is, you know, they're trying to figure out how do they meet uh, the aggression that the Chinese are putting forth. So here you've got China, Japan, North Korea, South Korea, um, Taiwan. Very, very fluid, very volatile. Anything could start to trigger that. Australia is tentatively looking at that, you know, from a distance. The United States military support for Japan, South Korea, Australia, that's a big area of the world to look at. And again, China's directly mentioned in, in, in the book of Revelation. And, um, you know, um, I won't, it, the 200 million man army, I'll just say it that way. Um, 
so these are things to, to keep an eye on. So here you've got Europe, what's happening with Russia, Ukraine, what's happening in the Middle East, and what's happening in Asia. These are all volatile regions. And, you know, Jesus warned there will be wars and rumors of wars. And we can say that there's always been that way, but never to the degree of what we see today, never to the escalation. I mean, we are literally, any of these things that I've mentioned before could potentially trigger a world war, could potentially trigger nuclear reactions. So that's the sensitivity, that's the volatility of what we're looking at. I'm starting to wind this down. I want to switch to culture for a second, particularly... um, as it pertains to America. And, the, and and I've titled this little mini section here, Eating the Bible. So according to a Gallup poll, a record of 20% Americans now say the Bible is the literal word of God, down from 24% in 2017, just five years ago. Uh, meanwhile, a new high of 29% of the Bible say it is a collection of fables, legends, history, and moral precepts recovered by man. This marks the first time significantly more Americans have viewed the Bible as divinely inspired than as the literal word of God. And I would say, you know, a good portion of that lies at the feet of the church, that the church is, is falling in that area, that, you know, they're, they're, they're I think, and I'm making a broad brush here, but a lot of it, they're more concerned about appeasing the culture than engaging the, the people themselves and, and standing on the veracity of Christ and Scripture. Um, just a side note, I, about four or five weeks ago, I did a, uh, a presentation. It's the longest thing I ever did. It's called Critical Thinking, God in the Bible. Um, and the reason I'm mentioning this is because I talk specifically about this, that people who believe that the Bible is a fable, that it's not to be trusted upon, it's not reliable, it's not credible— There is mountains and mountains and mountains of evidence from all different sources, from history and science, from outside uh, um, archaeological discoveries, from eyewitness accounts, and on and on and on that back up the authenticity and the veracity of of Jesus and the inspired Word of God. So um, if you would like some information like that, again, it's called Critical Thinking, God and the Bible, or if you think somebody uh, would like some information. I try to present it as as openly and as transparent as possible in a kind, respectful manner. Uh, that's just a side note because, you know, you have these people, and I believe this is, it's spiritual. It, they're attacking the Word of God. So this whole thing goes on to say there was a, um, uh, an event that transpired about uh, um, people talking about um, the biology of a woman and, and how that's being disputed by the, uh, the woke agenda, if you will. Anyway, there's somebody who was outside of this presentation reading the Bible out loud. He was attacked, uh, and he was had his Bible taken from him. People were so angry, they were ripping pages out. And this is recorded by a news outlet on video, and they were eating you know, the Bible as, as, as though you know, that could be that was their response. Was their response in anger, and and that's the point that we've gotten at today. And and I think that I believe this is a microcosm of what our culture is now, where our culture is at. And really, if you read the book of Romans, it foretold this. It said, you know, that they the Lord will give you over to this reprobate mind. He, in other words, there will be a point in time where the Lord said, "Okay, enough is enough. That's what you want. That's what you believe. How about it?" And, and I believe we are seeing that in, in a lot of the cultures today, not only, you know, in America, but certainly in, in other countries, particularly in the West. Um, just a side note in terms of eating the Bible, because it is in the Bible. If you go to Jeremiah 36, uh, King Joachim didn't like the results of what was being uh, uh, told by Jeremiah. So he ripped up the pages and uh, I, I, I believe, oh, yeah, he threw it into a fire at any rate, the Lord said, okay, and he gave him more, inf- gave Jeremiah more information to write, which made things even worse, and uh, this king was eventually dealt with. If you go, the flip side of that is, if you go to Ezekiel 3, 1 through 4, it says, Son of man, eat what is before you, eat this scroll. So I opened my mouth, and they gave me the scroll to eat. Then he said to me, Son of man, eat the scroll I'm giving you, and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. And, and so forth. So you have an example where God actually says to eat the word of God. And then in Revelation uh, 10, 9 through 1, he says this. Uh, so this is John. I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. He said, take it and eat it. 
it will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. So I took the scroll from the angel's hand and I ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then as I was told, you must prophesy again about many people's nations, languages, and kings. So I just, you know, I wanted to cite there that there's an example of God giving you the, the, uh, the, the challenge or the mandate to actually eat the word of God. Um, last, Elon Musk is very much in the news these days because of his purchase of Twitter and people just, you know, losing their minds. Oh, my God. And, you know, in reality, the biggest thing he was advocating was free speech and people on the left did not want that. And they only wanted their voices heard and, and, and so forth. So it was really, you know, just... A, just a further indication of where we are. And, and in, in other words, adhere to the norm, adhere to the, what's being dictated in terms of the messaging and, and, and follow these policies and these procedures and whatnot. And if not, we're going to ostracize you and condemn you. Uh, but I'm looking at this going, well, wait a minute. This is the richest man in the world. Why is he buying this? There's got to be some type of other monetary implication. And I think some of the technology that he's looking at could be a, a signpost of things to come because it does line up with what I think we'll see eventually in Revelation. And by that, I mean this. So let me cut to this. Um, yellow highlight on the bottom. Uh, well, and let me just say that he did file, and this was just a week ago, uh, the ability to process payments. So he wants Twitter to be able to exchange monetary uh, um funds, I'll call it. Uh, with enough money and power, a single individual can capture the world's attention at a pivotal time in history, influence wealth, and the ability to communicate globally. The new Twitter owner suggested that in the future, users would be able to send money to others on the platform, extract their funds, and authenticate bank accounts, and later perhaps be offered a high-yield money market account to encourage them to move their cash on Twitter. I would say an example of that today is a Apple Watch. I have an Apple Watch. My account is not registered with them, but if I had the option, if I wanted to put it into my Apple wallet, I could say, you know, here you go and, and you know, put this by the, uh, um, I forget, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I forget the name of it. At any rate, uh, so he's talking about something along those lines, potentially, that that's what it could lead up to. But... This could go much, much bigger, and and the reason I say this is, is it, there's a Chinese, there's an example in China now where I think he may be heading towards. So let me put this back up. Uh, the move to enter the payment business ties to Musk's larger plan to turn the social media platform into an everything app or a super app called X. While that plan today is still fairly vague, the general sense is that Musk aims to combine payments, social networking, entertainment, and other things into one experience similar to China's WeChat. So China's been experimenting with this, and I believe, I believe this has been rolled out in conjunction with the Bank of Shanghai. I can't say for sure. One of the banks. I think it's that bank. But at any rate, they control your, your social status, your credit scores, and so you either adhere to certain things and you'll be able to travel to certain provinces or certain areas or you won't. Or we'll release so many funds from your account or we won't. So there'll be that kind of control. And again, and where I'm going with is you look at Revelation, you know, the mark of the beast eventually says that they will be able to control what you buy, sell or trade. And an app or technology like this would fall in line with what that is. So whether, you know, that's where Musk goes, it's possible. Remember his uh, affiliation and a lot of his money, you know, came from, I believe, his PayPal. So, you know, there's a history there. And, you know, whether he's successful in this endeavor or not, I don't know, and time will tell. But he's obviously highly influential and been able to, you know, put together a $44 billion buyout of, of Twitter. So last, I'm just going to switch gears for my closing slide and encourage you to pray for particularly the women. I'm going to go back to the nation of Iran and what we're seeing over there. With all these um, developments, remember Iran is one of the fastest growing churches in the world in spite of the opposition, in spite of the martyrdom that m many of them are facing. And they're taking great risks to themselves, to their families, to their loved ones. So pray for them. Pray for the underground church in China. I show you uh, gentlemen being baptized there. Uh, and pray for these people. Pray for um, what's happening in the Middle East. I show you here 
Uh, Joel Ro- Rosenberg was offered a uh, an engagement with Saudi Arabia to bring an evangelical delegation into Riyadh, and he did. And you know, he came back with you know great reports. Uh, and I say all of these things because the mandate we have from the world, from the Lord, is Mark sixteen fifteen through sixteen. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. Uh, So we have that mandate. We need to reach out to our enemies. And one thing I love about Joel and the Joshua Fund, which is his ministry down there, their mandate is to to not only uh, care for the Jews in Israel, but to love the neighbors, love their enemies. Jesus said, love your enemies as yourself. and, And that's what they're doing. So... Please, you know, consider supporting some of these ministries if you, if you can. Uh, but pray for these women. I, I show you a book. Uh, I haven't read it, but it was recommended, Women Who Risk uh, the Secret Agents for Jesus in the Muslim World. Um, I hope to get to it soon. But anyway, I wanted to point that out because I think that, you know, a lot of times we're— I'm, I'm, I'm going to say for myself, I'm, I'm guilty for what I see in the news around me, you know, the United States, the elections— you know, who will win Congress, this or that. But we need to keep an open mind as to how Jesus is moving throughout the world because we have a global mandate. We we have to play our part in our section with our talents, gifts, and abilities of what God has given us. But with the power of Jesus, we can be of tremendous impact, not only locally but globally. So I, I just say these things to remember these people in your prayers if you can. Pray for these women. Pray for their... And, and, and I say this, too, because if, if you're honest with yourself, I look at, you know, my involvement with churches throughout the years. Thank God for the women, because the women are the staple. They're the foundation. They're the, they're the you know, they are the majority. The men, more of the men need to be in there, and we need to be more involved. But the reality is a lot of the men are riding the wings of prayers of women. And, you know, so to your grandmother, to your mother, to your wife, to your sibling, to your girlfriend, to your neighbor, just, you know, pray because a lot of these women have, you know, difficult situations, men, particularly in the Middle East. They're, they're not considered to be credible witnesses. And you can go back to the days of Jesus. And, and that was the same thing. So what does Jesus do? He appears to the women before the men. Uh, so, you know, I, 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 I love that about him. So anyway, thank you for your time here. I just want to close by saying, if you have any questions or comments, by all means, uh, email russickoutlook at gmail.com. If you have any prayer requests, I'm happy to take them on. You've been listening to the Russick Outlook. And remember, as always, just my opinion.